0: Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You're invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship, or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon.
1: Today's scripture is from... The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: He was six foot four and weighed 300 pounds. This native Boston Puritan and Harvard College graduate, Reverend Phillips Brooks, this man had an intimidating stature and pedigree. He was well known for his powerful preaching. Brooks was a pastor when a young Helen Keller was beginning to ask questions about God of her friend and teacher, Ann Sullivan. Feeling out of her league, Sullivan asked Brooks to help her. Little Helen, at the knee of this physical and spiritual giant, was introduced to the God of love made known through Christ. In a letter answering one of Helen's many questions about God, Brooks wrote, People have always thought that God must be their father because he showed himself to them in the beautiful world and because he spoke to them in their hearts. But he wanted to make it perfectly clear and sure to them. So he came and lived among them. He took our human life and lived it. He showed us what our life would be if we were absolutely filled with his spirit. Perhaps more than Keller was influenced by Brooks, Brooks was moved by Keller's desire to learn and know how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in the world of sin where meek souls will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. At least to our first lesson from this morning, music can transport us to sacred moments and places. You've probably noticed that music can transport us to sacred moments and places. It was on Good Friday, April 14th of 1865 when President Abraham Lincoln was shot at Ford Theater. Just nine days later, on April 23rd, at Philadelphia's Church of the Holy Trinity, the 30-year-old abolitionist Brooks preached a famous and enduring eulogy of the life and death of President Lincoln while he lie in state in that historic city. Of Lincoln, he told A Mourning Nation, "...in him was vindicated the greatness of real goodness and the goodness of real greatness." The twain were one flesh, not one of all the multitudes who stood and looked up to him for direction with such a loving and implicit trust can tell you today whether the wise judgments that he gave came most from a strong head or a sound heart. If you ask them, they're puzzled. There are men as good as he, but they do bad things. There are men as intelligent as he, but they do foolish things. In him, goodness and intelligence combined and made their best result of wisdom. For perfect truth consists not merely in the right constituents of character, but in their right and intimate conjunction. This union of the mental and moral into the life of admirable simplicity is what we admire most about children, but in them it is unsettled and impractical. But when it's preserved into manhood, deepened into reliability and maturity, it is a glorified childlikeness, that high and reverent simplicity, which shames and baffles the most sim- accomplished astuteness, and is chosen by God to fulfill his purposes when he needs a ruler for his people of faithful and true heart, such as he had who was our president. In the winter of that same year, Brooks took a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. He journeyed on horseback from Jerusalem to Bethlehem and worshipped in their Christmas Mass with singing, preaching, and praise that lasted for several hours He later reflects on the experience, I remember standing in the old church in Bethlehem, close to the spot where Jesus was born, and the whole church was ringing hour after hour with splendid hymns of praise to God. How again and again it seemed as if I could hear voices I knew well telling each other of the wonderful night of the Savior's birth. (coughs) Excuse me. Fast forward a couple of years. It's 1867. Brooks is preparing for the annual children's Christmas program. And memories of his special Holy Land trip were coming to the fore. For the occasion, he wrote a poem of five stanzas, and that leads to our second lesson. God will use each note of our circumstances to compose a song of grace. God will use each note of our circumstances to compose a song of grace. These stanzas that Brooks wrote were intended to be a children's song. Phillips completed the text, but needed a tune. He handed the lyrics to his church organist named Louis Redner, The preacher joked that if he liked it, he would name the tune St. Louis after him. Louis complained that he lacked inspiration, but awoke the night before the children were about to sing it at the Christmas program with a tune that was resonating in his soul, the tune now known to us as St. Louis, which is seen in the music on the screen. Now, did the tragedy of an assassinated leader of liberty An encounter with a young woman who is deaf and blind, the honor of participating in a worship service at the Church of the Nativity, all contribute to the meaning of this song. Trying events beyond our control, people we encounter, and places which we find ourselves all contribute to our story and to our song. See, God uses all of it, every note. And compose a beautiful song of grace, just as he did in the birth story of Jesus. And that leads to our third lesson. God will use the unexpected and ordinary to set the stage for the miraculous. We're reminded in this story of Jesus' birth that there are no accidental events. At the time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed a census should be taken throughout the empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, Caesar Augustus was greedy. He was counting people to know how much he could tax them and extract wealth from them. His motives were selfish. For the people under his rule, it was incredibly, and I emphasize incredibly inconvenient, to pick up, for example, an obviously pregnant fiancé and transport her by foot over 80 miles on a three- to four-day journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. The less-than-gracious political maneuvering and the hardship of the travel probably seemed in the moment to be nothing more than a pain. But God used the inconvenience to fulfill a prophecy. In Micah chapter 5, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village in Judah, yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the time when the woman in labor gives birth to her son. Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land. And he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honored all around the world. This story of the birth of Christ reminds us that there are no accidental people. All returned to their towns to register for the census, all because Joseph because Joseph was a descendant of David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He travelled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. Now, Joseph was a poor laborer and craftsman. To get from Nazareth to get to Nazareth from anywhere, you had to first go to the middle of nowhere, and then turn off the paved road and go deeper into nowhere. Joseph would have been seen at the time as very common. The story of an impoverished laborer in the Galilee area at that time was very typical. But Joseph had this going for him. His roots were royal. Now those roots were not doing him much earthly good until God used his background to fulfill a promise Joseph's ancestor David received from God through the prophet Nathan. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12-13. through 13, It reads, For when I die... I will raise up one of your descendants, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The story of Christ's birth reminds us that there are no accidental places. Joseph took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was obviously very pregnant at the time. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, so she gave birth to her first child, a son She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. This very special couple had been rejected from places of comfort and convenience by those who didn't realize the precious child that Mary was carrying. Instead, they were cast into messy and stinky and smelly hardship. But I don't think that was all on the folks who were operating guest rooms during a run-on lodging. I believe the sovereign God of the universe, chose to be born into a mess. I believe Christ chose to be born into a mess, chose to be born into humility, all to remind us that there is no stinky, smelly, messy hardship that Jesus is unwilling to enter into and bring grace with it and joy. No space that Jesus cannot enter into and make holy with his very presence without knowing the notes of your life right now. I can only ask, what inconvenience is God using to work out his purpose in your life right now? Whatever the inconvenience, God can use it. What if your background makes you uniquely positioned for reaching people in the name of Jesus Christ? You may look back on some parts of your history with shame, perhaps with excessive sentimentality or pride, but regardless of how you view your history, God desires to use it to sing a song of redemption for today and for eternity. What uncomfortable places do you find yourselves in? Is there a lingering awkwardness in a relationship or maybe uncertainty at your work, fears about health? How do those places help make the love of Jesus more real to you, to others? God can use our dark streets to shine an everlasting light. Our hopes and fears come together in Jesus and meet with a sweet and vulnerable, in the flesh, grace. In the United Methodist hymnal, Song number 230, as well as most, most other publications of this carol, it only lists four stanzas for Little Town of Bethlehem. But as I mentioned earlier, there is a fifth. This stanza is often left out, perhaps because it's too much about justice and not as much the sentimentality that so many of us focus on at Christmas time. But it reads Where children, pure and happy, pray to the blessed child, where misery cries out to thee. Son of the Mother Mild, where charity stands watching and faith holds wide the door, the dark night wakes, the glory breaks, and Christmas comes once more. God is doing something in your circumstances, in your background, those people and places in your lives, even if it's dark, even if it stinks, glory is getting ready to break in and bring joy and grace to our lives through Christ. Once more, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. We're going to conclude the service a little bit differently today. We have an opportunity this morning to visit the little town of Bethlehem. Shortly, we're going to hear familiar words of Scripture and we'll witness as Mary and Joseph and the angels, shepherds, animals, and magi all make their way to the manger. And once they have made their journey, we'll have a chance to make our journey as well. There are a few things that we want to invite you to experience this morning. The first is that the ushers will dismiss you to simply draw near. A little bit like how we come forward to communion, if you'd experienced that here with us. This is a time to envision the vulnerability and humility that surrounded the events of the birth of Jesus Christ. I'm not sure what God wants you to experience or feel, but as you approach, approach with prayer, asking what God would desire for you to experience today. Second, you'll be invited to receive a gift today. It's a simple ornament, but it's to remind us that unto us a child is born. One of our magi will present you with an ornament because that's in their nature to do. They are bringing gifts after all. We only ask that you would limit yourself to one ornament per family so we have sufficient for everybody to receive one. And finally, this is our opportunity to share our offering today. Instead of passing the plates as we usually have done, we're receiving God's tithes and offerings in the manger this morning. It's a reminder that we give because God first gave an unimaginable gift to us. When we give, we're not just giving to an organization or institution. We're giving so that the kingdom that God has ushered in through Jesus Christ will become more and more in this world. The manger is how that kingdom has first been presented to us. Now, what if you don't have a check or envelope to be able to share today? That is not a problem. It's not little town of Bethlehem, but in the bleak midwinter, that gives us some good guidance in this instance. It reads, what can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? Give him my heart. This act of worship will be the conclusion of our service today, and once you've come forward, you are free to depart the worship center, but now we get to hear words of scripture. We get to watch the nativity unfold before our eyes, and we get to come to the little town of Bethlehem, receive the gift, give thanks, and give our hearts. Let's hear these words.
1: In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken uh, of the entire Roman world.
0: This is the first census that took place while Corinius was governor of Syria. Everyone went to their own town and register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee, to Judah, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he came of the house of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped in cloths, chased him in the manger, because there was no guest to arrive. Now shepherds were in the field nearby, keeping their lookout. At night Wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on, and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So there a off a Mary and Joseph and the baby. He was lying in a manger. When they had seen Him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had just heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, draw us near to you today. As we have a chance to let our imaginations carry us, as your spirit paints a picture for us of that time when Christ was born, let our hearts be renewed. Let our joy increase and let it overflow from us for the increase of your kingdom. As we experience your presence here through this nativity, we get to depart here with your peace. We thank you and love you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.